Good morning, church. So lovely to see you this morning. Welcome to the service. Welcome to all of our online guests. Thank you for joining us this morning. We are in for such a treat. It's going to be a blessing. It's going to be an awesome, awesome service. I'm going to invite everyone to please stand. We're going to go into a time of worship. But let's start with prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy that washes over us day after day. Father, thank you that we are secured in you, that we are building our foundation on your truth. Father, that you are the rock of ages, the rock where we stand and we build our house, Lord. Thank you, Father, that your riches become our riches because, Lord, you are the one who shed your blood for us. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to live in the fulfillment of your promises. Thank you, Lord, that your promises are yes and amen and we get to believe and declare that you are true and that you are our God. Father, we thank you for this time that we get to come together to worship and adore you, Lord. Father, we sing with all that is within us, Lord. We recognize and acknowledge your goodness. We're so thankful, we're so grateful, and we stand in awe of you. We pray this in your holy and your mighty name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. So let's sing, let's worship, let's adore our King for He is worthy of our praise.
Yeah.
thank you, Jesus, for your presence that is so real right now. That we are aware of your presence. Lord, that this is the air that we breathe. This is our reality, Lord. That you are not far from us, but you are always with us. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of your Son, that we may freely worship you, that we can come boldly to the throne room. Father, thank you that you are our Abba Father, our Emmanuel, that you are with us always. Thank you that we get to worship you with all that is within us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your holy and your mighty name. Amen. 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 Won't you just smile at someone next to you before you sit down? Just so good to have you all. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, media team. My name is Dee, and I'm one of the pastors here, and you are so welcome. I get to share the offering this morning. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we're looking for quick, rich schemes. I don't know about you, we all want to make a quick buck faster than anybody else. Or is that just me? Hey, none of you have fallen for a scam, okay? But I know that the world system is always giving us financial advice. And the banks want you to save and make sure you have enough for that rainy day or for your pension, and that is all wonderful advice. But I believe there is a promise in the scripture that goes completely against what the world is saying. And we find it in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Isn't that completely the opposite of the world system? Look what it says in the Message Bible. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And I'm just so blessed because you know what? We have a father that doesn't say we must do one thing and then he doesn't do it himself. Do you know that we have a father that has given everything and continues to be so generous that he's not withholding anything from us. He gave it all through his son, Jesus, that our worlds get larger and larger. And so this morning, I just want to thank our family members that are so generous, that give so increasingly as their world gets bigger and bigger. I know we're going to see great things happen and we've got exciting plans coming ahead as we we reach this kingdom of God to the people around us. Amen. Are you ready to get bigger and bigger? Yes. Amen. And Steve is doing the last one today. Enjoy.
Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all this morning. So I have some jokes for you this morning. A husband uh, looks at his wife and he says, in the moonlight, your teeth look like pearls. His wife responds, who's Pearl and what were you doing in the moonlight with her? <laughs> Another husband asks his wife, when I get mad at you, you never fight back. How do you control your anger? His wife replied, well, I go and clean the toilet. Husband responds, well, how does that help? She says, well, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> so like Dee said, we are finishing our series called Foundations this morning, and uh, we've been reading from Hebrews chapter 6, from verses 1 to 2. And it's so important that you, as a new covenant believer, get established in these foundations because your foundation helps you stay stable when your environment might not be stable. It helps you stabilize your emotions and it helps you come back to some solid truths and doctrine with regards to who you are, what God has done as a new covenant believer. And that's what he says here in Hebrews 6, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Elementary, then the Greek is talking about the ABCs. So he's saying this, this is the ABCs of the gospel. So it's important for us to understand these ABCs, and then he says, so that we can go on to perfection. The word perfection there is talking about maturity. They're saying, you're gonna grow. You're gonna go from grade one to grade two, all the way up to whatever grade you wanna go to, but he's saying you have to get the ABCs right, and then describes them here. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. So remember the scarf that Dee was talking about, that we, our good works don't get us to heaven that we need to repent of this mindset thinking that somehow if I'm good enough, God will accept me. No, my good works don't get me acceptance with God. What gets me acceptance is believing that Jesus is enough. And when I receive Jesus, I'm accepted in the beloved. It's knowing that my good works don't get me anything. And we need to repent from that mindset. And then he says of faith toward God, that this is where we, I can trust God because I know his love, I know his character, I know what Jesus has done for me. Of the doctrine of baptisms, that there are four baptisms in the Bible. There's baptism into the body. When you receive Christ, you're baptized into the body of Christ. There's the baptism in water, what we are doing today. Baptism in water doesn't save me. Baptism in water is me showing everyone my wedding ring that I'm betrothed to Christ. It's a public confession of an inward reality. And then the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's a promise for you and I that when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we will speak in other tongues. And when we speak in other tongues, the Bible says we are praying spirit to spirit. And this is one of the signs of a believer. And then there's a fourth baptism, which we didn't talk about, but it's a martyr's baptism for those who are baptized into martyrdom because they've given their life for for Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, of laying on of hands, that you as a new covenant believer have the authority of God's word, you have the authority of his name, and that his power resides within you, and that God has said for that power to be distributed amongst believers, we lay hands on one another. And that's why we want to record those testimonies, that as you've laid hands on others, that they've recovered. Then we looked at resurrection of the dead that Jesus rose from the dead and that if we don't believe this, then our faith is in vain. That's what the Bible says. And that we have resurrection power within us that I can live, I love what it says in the Message Bible, I can live expectantly saying, what's next, Papa? 
because I have this expectation of God's power in me making a difference. Amen? And then today we're going to look at eternal judgment. And we just say the words eternal judgment and all of a sudden fear rests in people's hearts. But this is actually good news for you and I as a believer. In Psalm 11.3, it says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The thought of judgment brings fear to those who are not established in the new covenant. Because people want to take old covenant stories, which are true in the old covenant, and then mix them with the new covenant and come up with a mixed doctrine and because there is no clear understanding of the apex of Christianity, Jesus himself, and what he came to accomplish, people get confused. And then as soon as you were mentioned the word judgment in the New Testament, fear wants to grab your heart. And so we're going to look at some scriptures this morning to set you free from fear. Because eternal judgment for you and I as a believer is a wonderful thing. So let's start in John chapter 12 from verse 27 to 33. And it's important to start here because this is where Jesus shows you and I that he came to take judgment upon himself. So he's in the garden of Gethsemane. This is the place where he is so overwhelmed with fulfilling the will of God. He actually asked God, God, is there any other way out of this thing? And then in his heart, he settles the issue that this is why he came. This was the reason why Jesus came. See, sin entered into this world because a man chose not to trust God and believe a lie. And because of that, all of the human race fell and were born in sin. And so because sin came in the body of a man, sin needed to be paid for in the body of a man. And so God came in the form of a man a righteous man, born of a virgin, who was perfect in all of his ways to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And the ultimate sacrifice for sin was that sin needed to be judged in the body of a man. And so God became a man in the form of his son, Jesus, to take all judgment for sin upon himself so that you and I never have to be judged for our sin. And so Jesus is in the garden in John chapter 12. And this is what he says. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. So he starts, he's not just saying, well, you know, I'm a little bit troubled about this. In the Greek, he's saying here, I am vexed. I'm overwhelmed in the one translation, he says that he is troubled to the point of death. He was so troubled, the Bible says, that he began to sweat blood. And it's actually a medical term. And so he was overwhelmed with this purpose of why he has come. And then he says in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. So he humbles himself in this place in the garden where he's like, Okay, I recognize it's for this purpose that I've come, that I've now got to take the full wrath and judgment of God on my body for the sake of all mankind. And he says, 
I'm going to do this to glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Verse 29, therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and he said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now, okay, stop there, put on your thinking cap. When did Jesus say this? Let me ask you again. When did Jesus say this? 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this. He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So 2,000 years ago, talking about his purpose, talking about why he has come, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And then he says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all, in your Bible it says, draw all peoples to myself. Some translations say men to myself. Verse 33, this he said signifying by what death he would die. Now I've put it up on the screen here and I've underlined the word peoples because anytime you read your Bible and you see a word in italics, that means that that word was added by the translators. It's not in the original text. What is the context of what he's talking about? He's talking about judgment. And he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I be lifted up, talking about the cross, I will draw all to myself. I will draw all judgment to myself. That is the context. And then he says, signifying by how he would die. So for you and I, well, let me, let me put it this way. For 2,000 years, if you believe that Jesus would lift it up and he's gonna draw all men to himself, let me ask you this question. Have all men been drawn to him? No, they haven't. See, in 1 Peter 3, 9, the Bible says that God desires that all men be saved. Have all men been saved? No, they haven't. Even though God desires that for all men, God wants that for all men that they be saved, many people have rejected God. Many people have said no. In the context here in John chapter 12, Jesus is talking about this place on the cross of Calvary when he is lifted up and he became sin for all of mankind, that because he became sin, he became every heinous thing that man has ever committed, he took that sin upon himself and the wrath and the punishment and the justice of God that needed to be satisfied was poured out upon Jesus Christ and all he took all judgment for that upon himself and then he took it to the grave because of your sin and because of my sin because of judgment he had to die but on the third day, he rose again in newness of life, the Bible says, as the firstborn among many brethren and included you in that resurrection. So that from that moment on, from when you trusted in his finished work, you no longer have to have an expectation of judgment because your judgment was taken and placed upon Jesus Christ. See, and that is the good news. The one who believes on Jesus never has to fear being judged 
when I accept the righteous judgment of God that it was poured out upon Jesus, and I accept righteousness as a free gift, I will never be judged for my works because I'm now judged based on Jesus and his work. Say amen, somebody. Some of you are sitting here in shock. See, that's why I don't have to fear judgment. See, there are two references in the Bible that talk about the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment, and we're gonna look at those this morning. And they are two vastly different things. If your name is written in the book of life, you will not be at the great white throne judgment. And that's what's important. See, I'm not gonna stand before God to give an account of all my sins. I'm gonna stand before God based on one thing. Every man will give an account and be judged on one thing. Did I believe in Jesus? Because all sin has been paid for. All sin was placed upon Jesus. You're forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future sin. And you can read about it in Hebrews chapter nine. So I'm not gonna stand before God based on my sins, you know, and I grew up listening to these messages and this is how far back it goes where I was told one day when you get to heaven, God's gonna pull out, pull out the VHS <laughs> tape and they're gonna plug it into the heavenly VHS recorder and all of your sins are gonna be shown for everybody to see and you're gonna hope your mother's not there <laughs> and you're gonna give an account, buddy. Thank God for the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, that has washed all of my sins away. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my sin from me that when they put in that VHS tape, it's just gonna be a black and white, and the face of Jesus is gonna come up. Because as Christ is, so am I in this world. So you and I are not gonna be judged for our sins. We're gonna be judged based on, did I trust Jesus? And every man is gonna give an account one day and we'll get there. But in Romans 8, 1 in the Amplified, it says, therefore there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. So when it comes to eternal judgment, now remember it's eternal judgment, this is eternal. You're more than just a carnal human being. You're a spiritual being that is gonna live for eternity. All men will. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have made him personal Lord and Savior, there is no guilty verdict, condemnation, or punishment if you are in Christ Jesus because you have believed that Jesus took your judgment and your punishment for him. So let's look at the judgment seat of Christ. What is the judgment seat of Christ? In Romans 14, 10 to 12, the Bible says this, but why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice the word stand. Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. The word stand there is a reference to you're not gonna crawl, you're not gonna grovel, there is no indication of shame at all. And the word judgment seat there is the Greek word bima, B-E-M-A. So I don't know if I've said it right, I only know a little Greek and he owns the corner cafe up the road there, but. (laughs) 
Bema. So it's talking about a platform where a judge sits to give rewards. The Greek picture that Paul was alluding to was somebody who has completed a race or has competed as an athlete who now comes to get a reward from the judge who says, you have done well in the race and now you get a reward because you have completed the reward and you've completed according to the rules. So he's giving us this analogy and this picture that we are spiritual athletes who will will appear before Christ's beamer, the platform where you will receive an incorruptible crown. This is not a place where a judge beats the losers. It's not a place where I am whipped because I haven't done well. No, it's a place where believers are given rewards. What have we done in trusting Jesus and being obedient to his word? It's not a place of condemnation. And then he says here in verse 12, each person will give an account, a factual account of what you did in trusting Jesus and allowing that to be an expression of your faith in Jesus while you've been on earth. That's what he's saying. There is no exclusion. There is no trap door or escape exit for everybody. Every single person will give an account. I mean, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? Then Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the beamer, the platform for rewards, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So he's saying all of us are gonna appear here and this beamer seat is not about what you have done or must do. It's about Jesus who did it all for you so that you can truly live. And this is the place where everyone will be recompensed according to righteousness, faith righteousness, or works righteousness. So have I done what I've done because I've trusted in Jesus as my source, or have I done what I've done to try and earn brownie points with people or God? And so that's what he's saying, according to what he has done. So let me, you know, in Jesus with his interaction with the rich young ruler. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded, believe in the one who sent me. So we're gonna be rewarded based on what we believe and then how it's expressed in our devotion to Christ, whether good or bad. He's talking about the good works flowing from a heart established in righteousness because everything is gonna get tested by fire. So everything that I've done from a heart connected to being a new creation in Christ that is an expression of love, the Bible says, will be like gold and precious metal. But everything that I've done from a heart of selfishness or self-motivation or trying to earn from God or people will be burned with fire like wood, hay, and stubble. But he's saying that for you and I, it's important that we believe and trust in Jesus. In John 5, 24, Jesus said this, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Meaning, what have you heard and believed in your heart? Jesus has good news for you. God loves you and those who hearken to his words are gonna experience life. So this is not a place of judgment where you are judged according to your resume or your reputation. 
God is not Santa Claus counting all the bad things you've done and all the good things you've done. No, the work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent. And that's what you're gonna be judged on. Did you trust in Jesus and receive what is coming to you? In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, it says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is in Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation, using gold and silver and costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So he's saying that what we do from our hearts submitted to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I'm doing this because I know you're empowering me, then that will remain. Yes? What have you done in love and obedience? That's what he's saying. That which is unacceptable to God will be burned. And so there is no reason for fear or shame in the presence of God because everything will be revealed in fire. You know, if you think of the parable of the talents in uh, Matthew 25, verse 19, he says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with him. Means that there will be a reckoning based on, hey, what did you do with what God gave you? Because then it's gonna be tested with fire. And if you do what God told you to do from a pure heart, man, it's gonna last for eternity. And then he talks about five different crowns in the Bible, in the New Testament. Five crowns or rewards for believers. So this is what you're gonna come and when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you're a follower of Jesus, then these are the rewards that you get or the crowns that you wanna get. You wanna know? Well, the first is the crown of incorruption. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, it says, now everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So he's saying those believers who exercise self-discipline and self-control, who resisted the desire to just follow the flesh, you receive an incorruptible crown every time you do that. Secondly, it talks about the crown of rejoicing or the soul winner's crown in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For who is the object of our hope or joy or our victor's wreath of triumphant celebration when we stand in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, is it not you? So this is given to those who have led somebody to Jesus. They receive a reward or a crown. For every person you've shared the gospel with, when you go and do that and you lead somebody to an encounter with Christ, you receive a reward or a crown. Thirdly, that's why guys, when you partner with ministries that are seeing people saved, you participate in that. The reward is yours. When you finance the gospel, man, that reward is also reckoned to you because you finance the winning of souls. Thirdly, the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.8 in the Amplified, it says, as to what remains henceforth, there is laid up for me the victor's crown of righteousness for being right with God and doing right, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me and recompense me on that great day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved and yearned for and welcomed his appearing or his return. So he's saying this is for those who've trusted in Jesus as their righteousness and are looking and longing with anticipation 
Christ's return. So just for you having this yearning and this desire for Jesus to come back, Bible says you get a reward and a crown. Mm. Fourthly, the crown of glory. 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is given to overseers and pastors and life group leaders and group leaders. Anytime where you have taken the responsibility to say, listen, I'm going to be responsible to lead a group of people. He says, you, you receive a crown that will never, ever fade away. When you are faithful to submit and surrender to what God is asking you to do, you receive a crown of glory. And then fifthly, the crown of life. In James 1:12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Revelations 2.10, speaking to the church at the time, he says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. So he's saying every time you endure testing or trial or temptation and you come through, you receive a reward, the crown of life. Every time you say no to temptation, you receive a crown. Every time you say, I'm recognized that I'm submitted to the Lord Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm gonna say no to what my flesh and carnality wants, I receive a crown. See, none of these crowns, there is a reference to you being judged for sin. All of these are based on love and obedience to a heart connected to faith righteousness. And you know what happens? The Bible says, you can read it in Revelations, we're gonna receive our crowns, and then we're gonna take our crowns and we're gonna take them off our heads and we're gonna go and lay them at the feet of Jesus. And we're all gonna say, Jesus, this was because of you. We cannot take credit for what you did in and through us. And we're gonna lay them at his feet, recognizing that he is Lord of all and that it was by grace and not by our own works or performance. So we are not doing these things to try and earn anything. We are doing these things because we are trusting in somebody who loves us so perfectly. And it's an expression of love and gratitude for what he's done for us, amen? See, as, as believers, we should never accept a message of judgment leading to fear. Bible says that we have not received a spirit that leads us into bondage and fear again, but we have received the spirit of adoption where we cry out, Abba, Father, because our heart has been freed from fear and the fear of judgment. This is your heritage, the Bible says. In Isaiah 54, 17 in the Amplified Classic, it says, but no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. You know, there are weapons that are formed against us to hinder us from prospering. But he's saying, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall show to be in the wrong. 
So Isaiah 54 comes after Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant. You can go and read it where Jesus, there is a prophecy of Jesus hanging on the cross that he would be pierced for your sins, that he would be bruised for your iniquities, that he would take the judgment upon himself and that God would look at it and be satisfied. And then Isaiah 54, he starts to talk about the benefits of the new covenant, that God is no longer angry with you, that God has now made a covenant of peace and that he will be merciful to you and tells you the benefits of what Christ has done. And then he says here, no weapon that is formed against you shall stand or prosper. No tongue of judgment or voice of judgment that comes against you shall be able to stand and prosper because you will condemn it. When you begin to hear a message of judgment, you'll say, no, no, this is not what Jesus came to do. Look at Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54. Look at the life of Jesus. What did he do for me? He came and he has taken judgment for me. And so I will condemn that message. I will not let that message of judgment condemn me. That's what he says here. This peace, righteousness, security, triumph over opposition is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. He's saying this is your heritage as children of God where you don't need to accept this message of judgment that religion wants to try and conform you and push you into fear. In 1 John 4, the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. And then it talks about the day of judgment and it says, as Christ is, so are you in this world. We can have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because I know that Jesus was my judgment. He took judgment for sin upon himself. And that's why I can have boldness in that day, knowing I'm not gonna be judged for my sin. I'm gonna be judged, did I trust in Jesus? This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, those in whom the ideal servant of the Lord is reproduced. This is the righteousness or the vindication which they obtain from me. This is that which I impart to them as their justification, says the Lord. God speaking. This is what he says. This is what he has declared. He's saying your vindication comes from God because you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the one who has taken judgment for you, so that you never have to fear God, that you can enter into a relationship with God. And I think I said this last week, religion will conform you through fear, but it'll never lead you to intimacy. When you know judgment has been paid for by Jesus himself, that he's the one who paid the price for you, that leads me into intimacy wanting to know this God who would do this for me. And it leads me into relationship with him. It leads me into the same spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. I, I wanna know Abba, Father. I wanna know him as my dad. See, one day, unbelievers will stand before the great white throne for judgment. And it's very clear in the New Testament. Guys, we, you, you have one life to live. There are no second chances because religion will also come and say no no you might get another chance when you die there are no second chances what we decide on earth has an eternal impact in John 12 48 Jesus said this there is a judge 
For the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, that very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. The one who rejects Jesus will be judged. See, the Bible talks about an evildoer as somebody who rejects Christ in John 3, 36. It says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. This includes the religious person who studies the scriptures and testifies about Jesus but refuses to come to him. This includes the preacher that says, Lord, Lord, while fleecing the sheep and prostituting the gospel. An evildoer is somebody who denies the Lord and then judges himself unworthy of life. An evildoer, the Bible talks about somebody who turns away or goes astray or rejects righteousness as a free gift. Man, this is heavy stuff, eh? And that's why he's saying, man, receive righteousness as a free gift. Why do you want to work for something that Jesus has paid for? Receive the gift of Jesus. And receiving the gift of Jesus, I'm receiving him as my righteousness. Man, and then I, don't, then I can experience a relationship with God without fear. The great white throne judgment is for unbelievers. In Revelations 20, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. Man, this is not for you and I. You don't want to go there. You don't want to be there. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Because, you see, if I don't receive Jesus as my righteousness, then I'm going to stand before God based on my righteousness, and the book is going to be opened up. And it's like, okay, let's compare your righteousness with what was required. And what is required is perfection. And that perfection means you have to perfect every law from the heart and deed every day of your whole life and cannot miss it. And if you miss it in one point, you're guilty of it all. So you're either gonna be judged based on your name being in the book of life or now in the book of works. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the only question we've got to ask ourselves is, is my name written in the book of life? And the way that you, your name is written in the book of life is when you say yes to Jesus. When you say, yes, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I receive that you love me unconditionally. I receive that you took all judgment on the cross of Calvary for me. I receive you as Lord and Savior. I receive the fact that you adopt me as your child. I receive the gift of righteousness as a free gift. And when you say yes to that, your name is written in the, the book of life because you've believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Remember, there is only one sin that we will be judged for. Did you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? 
See, and that is why it's important for us to renew our minds to fulfill the call that God has for us. Where I'm fulfilling what he's asking me to do, not to try and earn anything from God, but because I know that I'm a child of God and I'm free from judgment. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not physical, weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. See, my warfare is no longer with the devil because in John 12, it says that the ruler of this world was cast out. So I like what Andrew Womack says. He says, the devil is a big fat zero with a ring knocked off it. The devil is not your problem. Your problem is what's going on in here. What are you thinking with regards to who you are as a new covenant believer? And he's saying, my, my warfare is now, what am I thinking? What's going on inside of my mind? Am I bringing every thought to the obedience of Christ? Am I renewing my mind to who I am as a new creation? That's where the warfare is. In Romans 12, one to two, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual or reasonable act of worship. This is it just reasonable when we worship God because he's good? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't allow religious thinking to enter into your mind or carnal thinking but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Begin to renew your mind to who you are as a new creation in Christ. And that's the word metamorphosis. He say, he's talking about transformation happens from the inside out when I begin to discover who God is and who he said I am. And that's where metamorphosis happens. And he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So God's will for you is good and pleasing and perfect. And if you wanna discover what that will is, then you need to transform your mind to his word. Amen? So I can't think about God, life, or myself any other way than the way that God thinks about me. And the way that the two areas of belief you wanna deal with is what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. What you believe about God will determine what you believe about you because you become like the God you worship. So if you're finding yourself being angry, judgmental, and critical, that is because you believe the one you worship is angry, judgmental, and critical. But the one that you believe, if you believe that God is good all the time, it begins to transform you, and you find yourself being good to those that don't deserve it. And when you believe that God loves you unconditionally, you begin to believe that you are loved unconditionally and you begin to love others unconditionally because you become like the God you worship. But if you're trying to conform people through behavior, modification, and control, then that's what you believe God is like. That's why it's so important that we renew our minds to the truth of who God is, that he loves you. And if you wanna know how does he love you, go and read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love is long-suffering, love does not rejoice in evil but rejoices in the truth, love hopes all things, bears all things, love never fails, that's the characteristic of God. That's not a to-do list. That's God describing what his love looks like because he is love. What you believe about you will determine your self-worth and everything you do with your life.
Because everything you do rises from your sense of self-worth. But if you believe you're valuable and precious, you will live like that. So I'm gonna leave you with five things to how to bring your thoughts captive. Number one, you gotta know the new covenant. You gotta know what Jesus did for you in the New Testament. You gotta know all of the scriptures of who you are in him. That in him you're accepted in the beloved. In him you are forgiven. In him you have resurrection power. In him you are the, have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. In him every sin has been removed from him. In him you have all authority. You gotta know who you are in Christ. Secondly, when a vain imagination comes, when these temptations or works righteousness come, bring it into captivity and compare it to Jesus and what he's done for you. Don't try and earn it. Thirdly, change your opinions and line them up with God's word and his opinions. What does he think about you? Fourthly, if it's not in the Bible, don't accept it as reality. And lastly, walk by faith. Walk by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, which means that with faith, God's pleased. When you, faith is not a commodity. Faith is trusting in God and what he's accomplished in his son Jesus. That's what pleases God. When you come to the place where you are trusting in, clinging to, and relying on what Jesus has done for you, that pleases God. Amen? Because you believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God's a rewarder, not a punisher. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Eternal judgment is a good thing if you're a believer in Jesus. If you're being baptized this morning, can I ask you to go to the bathroom right now and get ready and go and get your swimming costumes on? But for the rest of us this morning, one question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? If you believe in Jesus, there are rewards waiting for you. But I wanna speak to you if you don't believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, I believe that God loves you so much that he brought you here this morning that you could find out about Jesus and his love for you. See, one day we're either gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive rewards or we're gonna stand before the great white throne judgment where it's a fearful place. And God wants you to live without fear. And the way that we do that is by receiving Jesus as the judgment and punishment for our sins. So if I could ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, maybe you're standing here and you know in your heart you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But today is your day of reckoning. Today is your day of salvation. God loves you so much that he has brought you here this morning that you could receive the wonderful gift of eternal life, the free gift of righteousness by faith, and the free gift of intimacy and relationship with God himself where you can call out God as Abba, your father, your dad. And so I'm addressing you this morning. If you've never made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, I would love to pray with you and lead you into a relationship with him. I'm not gonna embarrass you or call you to the front, but I'd like to pray with you. 
So if that's you this morning, you say, yes, Steve, please pray for me. I wanna receive Jesus. Just slip up your hand quickly so I can see you. And I'm gonna pray with you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I know many of you are saved this morning, but can we pray with those who lifted their hands or wanted to this morning, just so to know that they are loved, that you've also made this decision. Why don't you just pray after me? Just say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Lord, I believe in you. I believe you died for me and you rose again and you are Lord of all. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that I'm a new creation. Thank you that I'm loved and I can cry out, Abba, Father. Thank you for loving me. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can be mindful that we are eternal. Lord, help us. Lord, if we have placed more emphasis on carnal things, on our flesh, on materialism, Lord, that have distracted us from eternity, Lord, thank you for the reminder today that we are eternal. And Jesus, that you are Lord of all, that there is none who is above you. Jesus, you are Lord of all, King of kings, Lord of lords, high and exalted, faithful and true, that all things have been created by you, in you, and through you. Everything exists, Jesus, because you've spoken it. And so we acknowledge you, Jesus, as head of the church. We acknowledge you, Jesus, as the one who is worthy to be worshiped and honored, exalted. Jesus, thank you that you are an all-consuming fire. And we just humbled and submitted to you this morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your wonderful and passionate, all-consuming love for each one of us this morning. So we submitted to you once again, Lord in humble adoration and worship to you, Lord. And Lord, we, we long for your return. We anticipate, we look forward to you coming quickly, Jesus. Lord, in everything that we do, we exalt you, we honor you, we covenant to give you the praise 
and all the glory. In your wonderful name. Amen. Um, If you'd like some prayer this morning, we have our ministry team that would love to pray with you this morning. Always remember, you're highly favored and deeply loved of God. For those of you who put up your hands this morning, please can I ask you to go to my right-hand side there. You'll see a green sign that says, What Now? We'd love to give you a book in your journey with Jesus. And it's for free. And so we'd love to put that in your hands. If you're a guest, don't forget to go to our welcome table. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We love you so much.